Good morning. Well, <laughs> whatever time it is there. Welcome to Sawdust Tenjin. This is episode 27. My name is Zoe. Hi, and I am Kylie. If you hear scratching behind you, it's my cat being very excited that we are close to her and close to her scratching post. We are in a fort. We've decided not because we are 12, but because for the sound quality for our listeners like yourselves to kind of uh, put ourselves in a fort. And I'm, I actually, I don't hate this. She's sniffing my um, feet right now, your cat. Edna. That is hilarious. And I can't see her because we're in this fort, but I feel it. And it's very awkward. That is hilarious. But uh, this is going to be a great episode. It's, well, it's going to be touching a lot of different topics. I think that this is definitely going to be one of our more controversial um, episodes, but I'm really excited just to kind of discuss some of the larger questions, especially surrounding the idea of separating the artist from their art. And I think this is something that has been a discussion, I mean, as long as artists have been creating. So I'm really excited to get started on that. Absolutely. We're going to be talking about a lot of different aspects of that. But first, we did want to kind of lighten everything up and talk about one of the greatest things we ever saw, which was a couple weeks ago. It was amazing. We, we went to the Pico Union Project. You can read my review on the blog, sawdustandgen.tumblr.com. Um, but we saw Woke's uh, headline at the Pico Union Project, which is actually a synagogue in downtown LA. It was really interesting because we got to the synagogue and we were a little bit uh, confused as to what the space would look like and everything, but I was really impressed. I think the sound quality overall was pretty amazing. I agree. I am surprised too. I didn't expect, but at the same time, and I was thinking about this when I was writing about it, churches like are meant to worship, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it makes sense that like music, although I don't know so much about like the Jewish faith. I don't know. About how how music is tied into that. Because right. I know, like, I was raised Catholic, and we right. definitely, there was music all the time. So it does actually make sense that um, that the church would have, you know, great acoustics. But had great acoustics, and I was just really impressed by uh, Wokes because Zoe had introduced me to her, but I had never seen her live. And her performance was really incredible. She's got this um, kind of veil that she drapes over herself. And with the lighting and the sound, it was just such an amazing performance. And I was impressed with how little it took to make that performance amazing it was her the veil the lighting and I mean her sound that's an excellent point she used mostly backing tracks um but she did play the this beautiful piano at one point uh and there was uh I don't know if I showed you but there was the photographer that was taking photos took one from above the organ like we're above her and it was so beautiful just like having the veil draped over everything her at the piano the lighting is so just like glowing it was amazing it was just an amazing performance her voice is really phenomenal. I was really impressed because I think Zoe and I were talking about this after the show, how her voice was beautiful and consistent. I think that a lot of times, especially when you're using, um, I mean, she was giving it her all. And a lot of times when you give it your all, you know, toward the end, you're kind of like, I am, she could have been like, I am woke. Yeah. But uh, not as creepy Gollum as that. But uh, <laughs> I went a little Gollum there. But she was super impressive. And the opening artist, uh, Zoe can talk about Benafi, who is uh, one of her true loves. Yep, absolutely accurate. I'm sure she's sick of me at this point. Because I, I mean, I tweeted her all the time because I'm a stan. And 
She, uh, she. I guess she didn't hasn't really noticed though, because we did bring it up. I did talk to her. Exactly. No, I was super impressed. So Benafi opened for uh, Wokes, and Benafi was really amazing. And I, I love the. I'm a sucker for anything that has to do with synths and a great voice. So I was already immediately drawn in, especially because she was playing all her own stuff. And it was just really great because it was just her and her keyboard. And I think that she really, uh, she really brought it home. And it, she was the sweetest. We were talking with her and she introduced herself as Martha, which was great. Um, so she, I was super impressed uh, with Benafi. And then Bosco came on and she really, I was impressed how she brought. She got the audience to their feet and we were afraid because like, not not afraid of her, but afraid of the space. Like exactly. so reverent in this like synagogue, you don't know if you should applaud too loud. You don't know if you should go too crazy. But she specifically was like, hey guys, this is music. Like you guys are enjoying yourselves get up and dance. I really appreciated that she brought that energy out because yeah, because you're in a space where you're like, you know, I, I I don't want to be disrespectful. So it was super fun and hats off to the the dancing, uh, oh, the- God. The Wokes impersonators? Yeah, the Wokes impersonators were pretty amazing. And there was that, um, there was a guy in this beautiful dress and he was, he was killing it on the dance moves. Shout out to him. We don't know who he was, but he had the moves. And it's interesting because I was thinking also, like, I wonder if he knew Bosco. Because obviously he knew Wokes because he was dressed exactly like Wokes. But it made me wonder, like, did they, did, were these people super familiar with Bosco? Because they really got into it. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> I loved it. It was I, so much fun. Yeah. We had a wonderful time. And it was really, it was fun because it was something that I thought was so L.A. And I was laughing. I said, we're going to a concert in a church but it was it was really amazing all three performers really brought it and it was just the again the sound was amazing the audience was really receptive and it was just it was really really fun and I am really excited to kind of see if there are any going to be any more upcoming concerts at the Pico Union Project because it was definitely something that I think would be a really fun space to go back and I think I feel more confident now that I would dance and clap yes. and things like that because I was sitting so straight up in that pew like I will be respectful yes and that's key like we were really in pews like sitting and as if we were attending a service but no it was amazing and also it was kind of like a party because like everybody who was uh indie royalty was there oh yes we have to discuss the fact that zoe was in her element i was super impressed because zoe knew all of these great artists and she was pointing them out to me we saw lauren ruth ward oh, and lp love and lauren ruth ward is so awesome i met her to interview her and she is just the chillest girl she's got a great personality she has this distinct jacket which is the reason why i noticed her at first uh, she literally says ward on the back and i saw that um they had jackets made for the rest of her band too for that's they play live. so oh awesome God, I, I want one i want one but i want we need one. a jacket that says brown on the back no no, no i want it to say ward let's be honest <laughs> So Although, bad. if it said, like, Brown, it could be, like, Banoffee's Martha Brown. But anyway. So now Zoe wants to be part of uh, Banoffee's family. She's taking it one, like, some next level stuff. Martha, if you're listening, she wants to be adopted. <laughs> I really hope she does not listen to this. <laughs> um, on that note, <laughs> we're going to jump right into uh, the controversies that were, uh, that plagued music industry really taking it down a notch but uh then we're gonna bring it back up with the music at the end so yes. stay tuned this is sawdust and gin thanks for joining us
Hi guys, welcome back. We are dealing with some cat technical difficulties here, but we are going to power through. Um, this uh, episode, like we mentioned, we're going to talk about a lot of controversies, and so we want to start out with Power Bottom. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this band, uh, but they've rose to popularity pretty quickly, of, of recently at least, and they grew to prominence. Uh, NPR talks about them. I mean, basically, like every big blog basically talks about them, and their music... Like I said, queer punk DIY. Um, that whole niche is um, really booming at this point. Uh, really has a lot to do with the ease of creating music. That's a totally different topic to talk about. And I think also a lot of it comes from, especially unfortunately, this recent election and just kind of a feeling that you need to stick together and uh, and definitely focus on um, empowering queer youth to be themselves especially in places where um it may not be um it may not be as easy especially I mean we live in LA so there's so many communities that really accept and are open to that but unfortunately there are so many communities especially in the south that it's not as easy to kind of be yourself absolutely and for that reason, this band has been hugely important, especially in the queer community. Uh, it's a great, it just had great messages of being yourself and believing in yourself and standing up to hate. And yet, now this whole scenario comes to light and it's, I mean, it's crushing for all the fans and even for people just in the LGBT community, whether they like the band or not. Like, it's just, this whole scenario is unfortunate and sad. Um, for those that don't know, a quick recap of it. Um, I couldn't pull up the exact allegation, which happened via a tweet, um, because it was deleted, but the whole idea of it was that a friend of a victim of unwanted sexual conduct made her story public uh, about being violated by Ben Hopkins, who is one of the members of the band. Ben goes by the pronoun they, um, and because the English language is imperfect, that could get confusing in this talk, but stay with me, it'll be okay. Like, <laughs> we'll get through it. Yeah. Um, because I'm also going to be referring to they as in the band being Ben and Liv, who's the other um, member. Because um, they both kind of are implicated in... Uh, I in say, what's going on, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say wrongdoing, but like this whole scenario is both of them. Like the band is both of them and they both knew. So, okay, so starting from the top... They responded to these allegations immediately on social media. They said that they'll take it seriously, uh, quote, Unfortunately, we live in a culture which trivializes and normalizes violations of consent. There are people who have violated others' consent and do not know. They attempted to set up channels where folks could anonymously raise concerns about Ben's behavior. It seemed like they were really going in the right direction. The band seemed like they were going to respond with the presumably thoughtful and respectful solution. Uh, but it didn't seem to work out. They abandoned that almost immediately, uh, saying that it wasn't possible to address the issues with everyone remaining anonymous, which I get that. But at the same time, there are definitely steps you could have taken to minimize that. And even it's like it's like the risk of a small thing going wrong completely upended this entire thing, which I actually thought was a good idea. And I thought that they were doing the right thing. But anywho, um, kind of uh, along the lines of this, Liv knew of these allegations of abuse long before this came out. Um, she didn't say anything because of that reason of anonymity, like losing uh, anonymity for the victims. But 
I think at, yeah, well, and I, I think obviously um, you have to take um, any victim, um, especially anonymous, not, well, I can't say that, anonymity. It's a tough word, it's a tough word anonymity. Um, seriously, but at the same time, especially when, um, you know, if I was in a band allegations and come out, you know, I'd make sure, of course, to not only get to the bottom, but just make sure that, I mean, this doesn't happen again, especially because it's like, if that if this, you know, if, if this is something that has happened before, unfortunately, it's definitely something that could happen again and just cause a lot of pain to potential victims. And especially it's just, you know, obviously morally, you want, uh, we all want to make sure we're on the right side of things. But when it comes to um, Power Bottom and what they stand for, especially in their message and things like that, it's just even more important to really, I mean, that the fact that this wasn't handled well just really undercuts the message that they've been promoting for the past couple exactly. years. Exactly. So they eventually did release this very long response. There was actually three different responses, one from Ben, one from Liv, and then they did like a joint response together. Um, I'm not going to go through it. Uh, to be honest, I found it not really worthwhile. I did not... I did not find the response uh, adequate. Well, I'm sure it was super vague, too. Like, we're sorry that this... I've got quotes. <laughs> um, I mean, it was to a certain extent, but there was also just this, like, edge of denial, which, okay, I get legally, you're not going to be like, oh, well, I did this, but, you know, it's like you can't admit fault for something that you could still be legally on the hook for. However... However, they like I, I mean, like I said before, it seemed like they were going to handle this really well, and they just didn't. So, okay, Ben's response. Uh, this quote was in his like the personal. Like I said, there were three responses: his, lives, and joint. So this was his part. Part of his. Based on the nature of our communications and our interactions with one another, I understood our interactions to be fully consensual, and this is obviously cons like with the victim. Um, however, I, I hate that. That statement means nothing to me. It, it basically amounts to, well, I didn't think anything was wrong at the time, so, like, she didn't say no, so there's no way that I did anything wrong. That's not how it works. Like, it's interesting just that in the first statement, they're ready to apologize. It seems like they're ready to make, like, take these steps to mend the situation. And to avoid it as well. It, like, they really seem, like, they care about their fans. At least it seemed that way. But... This response is so classic denial and victim blaming. It's, it really would have done them good to do some self-reflection. And I was thinking like, what would have been wrong with a response that was something like, I didn't know I did something wrong, but I recognize it now. I see that this is a wrong scenario because this was brought to my attention. And I apologize for that nonetheless. Still give us something like, it just seems like a completely inappropriate response, especially given who they are. And I think that that whole thing of who they are, because, again, you have other artists that are, you know, they, they sing, you know, their typical message and about, especially a lot of pop artists, it's, it's kind of the same like sex and things like that. So it's kind of, I don't want to say it's not surprising when these allegations come out, but at the same time, it's like, well, you weren't talking about women too nicely in your songs so it's not a whole a leap whereas like these guys are talking about safe spaces and really just wanting their you know wanting people um to stand up and be proud of who they are yeah and and that's the thing when you have this message you don't get to kind of be the standard like pop denial 
I mean, and like, like a great example is like what happened between Chris Brown and Rihanna. And that's the type of thing that um, when you when you look at Chris Brown's lyrics, first of all, again, he his kind of coming off with, you know, more of an edge of denial and just an edge of, you know, not being so apologetic is not super surprising. I hate to say it, but Chris Brown is not exactly a wonder boy and a super nice person. So from what it seems, I mean, and it's all what it seems. I mean, I don't know the kid personally, but um, yeah, in case you were wondering. but <laughs> He's not related to Yes. Yes, he's not related to Zoe, in, in case you were wondering that either. Um, but yeah, so the situation with Chris Brown and Rihanna, what really surprised me about that whole thing is that Chris Brown has continued to be incredibly successful. Female artists still work with him. He's still creating top hits. And that's really an example. And what's fascinating is that with all this controversy around Power Bottom, it significantly impacted their ability to make music. Right. People cancel it on their tours. Like oh my God. Well, okay. Everything happened a couple of days after that. All their music was wiped from purchase and streaming services. Their label dropped them with a very specific statement about condemning what they did. And, you know, you think about it, and yeah, you would hope that these are all the right things that you would hope to see in like cis, straight, male dominated bands or artists. And. It doesn't happen. And it, I mean, it did happen. And it was a good thing that it happened to them. Like in, in, in its own way, it was a good thing that Power Bottom got dropped in that way. And that they've kind of been uh, eliminated from uh, the spotlight at this point. Um, but it also kind of brings up, and I, I've said this uh, to some of my friends, and it's a very small point, but it does concern me that we found this queer punk band to be so much more expendable and so much easier to get rid of than all these other massive artists. We can't seem to separate ourselves from them. And it's really, it's actually really true because again, like you look at, at somebody like Power Bottom and everybody canceled. Like, please, people are still torn with Chris Brown. I have not heard one artist be like, I don't know, his conduct is really bad. No, they're like, come on in, come on in. Let's keep recording. Let's keep, let's keep making music. It, and it's, it's really kind of crazy. I mean, he had no, I mean, there were really, besides obviously he had court fees and all that, but there were really no ramifications yes. for his career none and that's it's it's upsetting and again we should i shouldn't be like well power bottom should also have a career no neither of them should why is it that we can't seem to it's like we're picking and choose and it's not even that it's just that this niche was uh so much more reactive and as much as like Chris Brown is in the public eye and like of course everybody heard about that like everybody knows Rihanna everybody knows Chris Brown everybody heard that story saw those photos, photos. I mean and that that I think what's even crazier is that with Power Bottom and the thing that if I play devil's advocate for a moment here there is the possibility as there always is that this this allegation could not be true it's an allegation. so it's it's an allegation and things like that so and what but what's really crazy is that so this was an allegation in this you know, effectively shut down Power Bottom. We saw the photos. There was no Oof. question. He yes. he turned himself in. I mean, there was no, there was no, did this really happen? Because in the Power Bottom situation, you have the allegations and unfortunately, like so many things with sexual abuse, there's oftentimes no absolute concrete proof. But with Chris Brown, we saw the photos. We saw it. I mean, there's, there's no, um, 
question of whether he beat up Rihanna. There's no question. It happened. And yeah, and you know, that actually reminds me of Bobby Brown as well. That scenario was very cut and dry. We knew it happened. Uh, like Whitney and Bobby went to court together to turn him in, which was also just heart. I mean, everything about them was heartbreaking. I know. It really, really was. Those were just two people that were just like firing gasoline. God, it's so true. But I mean, we had full proof of that. And yet, this is also someone who's still revered in rap and like, and just in music in general. We were, it was funny because Zoe and I were talking about all the different times you hear Bobby Brown oh. referenced in rap music. He's still referenced all the time. Oh my God. Okay. So I have some examples here. Um, so, for example, our first one we're going to talk about is Fabulous, released in a song called Ah Shit. Do you know the song? I actually don't, but now I'm going to go look it up yeah. because I love his song Throw It in the Bag. I feel like I might, I feel like this kind of sounds familiar, but I don't recognize it. But okay, so I did look up the lyrics to it. Um, he references three of Brown's hit singles in a lyric that in the lyric it's meant to be a pickup line. So the lyrics are like, it's my prerogative to be in love with you, blah, blah, blah. But it's just like... Really? Bobby Brown is going to be how you pick up, pick up women? women? How ironic. It's just, uh, it's just like gross. Okay, so that one was pretty bad. Then we have, we have Jeremy. Is that how you say that? Jeremy. Meh, meh, meh. I don't, I'm not, I, I'm actually, the jury's out on this. You can tell that we are not a, uh, a rap, a uh, rap podcast. But okay, this is interesting because this, okay, the song is Don't Tell Him. The lyric comments on how we, how Bobby Brown, quote, acts a fool. So not exactly like the most positive thing. But Bobby Christina Brown, may she rest in peace, replied to Jeremy on Twitter praising the song, saying that it was like honoring her dad. And it's just like, oh, my God, why? Why do you think that this is a good thing? Like, as if public opinion still favors Bobby Brown. And I get Bobby Christina Brown I get that there's like family things there, like you, like you love your dad no matter what, yeah. right? But, but it is just fascinating that again, so many years later, with a case that was again very cut and dry, unlike the power bottom allegations, we they, he admitted that he you know physically assaulted Whitney Houston. He's still yeah this like R and B god, and it's kind of crazy, and it really does come down to just looking at separate. G do you separate how, how can you or can, can you or can you not yeah. separate the art from the artist because so many times the, the artist's platform is their lyrics their songs it's a, almost an extension of themselves yes. and so but then that makes you wonder like okay I guess there's also the idea of like some people don't write their own songs so is it easier to separate the art from them or that is a really good point. How do you separate? So let's say you're, for example, like Celine Dion never wrote her own music. However, you know, she was still singing all those ballads and things like that. And it's funny because, again, she never wrote her own music. But at the same time, when you hear a quintessential, like, my heart will go on, like, that's a Celine Dion, that's Celine Dion in that package. You know, it's kind of hard to separate that. Like, she didn't write those lyrics, but, Lord, that's a, you know, she's killing it on those notes. Okay, like, either way, it's kind of like, if... I don't want to use Celine Dion, but okay, let's just say if, say Bobby Brown, okay. um, like hypothetically, had written, like had not written a song that was extremely famous and like we all loved, 
would we then stop singing it knowing that it wasn't his song technically, even though he's singing it and we're still patronizing him in that way? It's kind of interesting because even though I feel like even if it's so hard, one of the other reasons it's so hard to separate the, um, you know, the art from the artist is that even though, let's say, you know, Bobby Brown, let's say he didn't write any of his songs, which I don't think to be the case, but let's say he, he didn't write any of his songs. Every time that song is played, he's still getting royalties. Right. He's still getting royalties for the actual, um, the, the, I, they call it the master, I think it is, that they get. Um, so even if, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, this song was written by whoever, it's still technically, he's making money off that song. Right. And he, and artists just kind of make songs their own. I mean, you look at like, Dolly Parton and Whitney Houston both sang I Will Always Love You, but each artist brought their own thing to that song. And frankly, most people consider it a Whitney song, to be quite honest. Like, you know, that big and I, that, oh my God, has been butchered so many times on American Idol um, on those auditions. But, um, but yeah, so it's just, it is really interesting to even get to dive into, well, if even if they didn't write the song, it's still sort of their own thing. And it's, it's just, it's tough, especially because it's just like sometimes, and I mean, this is, again, I'm, I'm playing real devil's advocate here um, to, uh, I'm bringing in the different perspectives because there's certain things, for example, like I freaking loved Chris Brown on uh, Kanye's um, Life of Pablo when he did Waves. That Waves track was amazing. And it's like Chris Brown has talent and it's just, Oh, it's like, where do you draw a line? Exactly. Where you, if, if you can at all. Yeah. What's also interesting is I think about other scenarios where it's been really controversial, but it's not been the fault of the artist. And I think of Kesha. Oh, and Kesha is a prime example of just a lot of the things we've talked about culminated into one. We have allegations that, unfortunately, we don't have concrete proof of. Um, but you also just have a really complicated case of an artist who seems to be fighting sort of for, the, I mean, essentially for their artistic freedom to get out of their contract. And the thing with Kesha that's so fascinating to me is that um, I was reading a fascinating Verge article um, about how people were asking, well, can't she just make a mixtape? And what's so fascinating is that we see artists make mixtapes all the time. For example, Miley Cyrus and her dead pets, which uh, her her record label, it didn't count as one of the, the um, albums on her contract, but the record label was totally fine with it. But Kesha's contract, which in this Verge article was described as worse than the Backstreet Boys contract, and they had all those issues, I know, with uh, Lou Pearlman, their manager. What's crazy is that her record label is not... Um, for her even making mixtapes. So essentially, she's sort of just trapped in this contract. And even what's really tough is that there's just so much back and forth because they, because Dr. Luke's argument is that he, he put a lot of money into her career and he needs to get it back by doing all these albums. But of course, Kesha, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with the um, what's been going on, has been saying that Dr. Luke um, sexually uh, assaulted her, emotionally uh, abused her. There are allegations that he called her a fat fucking refrigerator, which led to, um, she was actually in rehab for an eating disorder. Um, what and a lot of people feel that's really tied to Dr. Luke just constantly criticizing her and just um and it's just what's I mean it's just 
uh, such a tough situation, especially because I know that Zoe and I have talked about how we think it's just insane that Sony just hasn't let her out of this contract at this point. Because frankly, she's not making money for the for the label at all. It just, just doesn't make any sense. Okay, but then okay, I think about it in the context of what we were talking about, separating the art from the artist. Obviously, I'm not going to stop patronizing Kesha. If anything, I want to give her more of my money. But then you wonder, like, yeah, Dr. Luke gets a cut of everything. Everything. Because he got... So basically, the story with Kesha and Dr. Luke is that Dr. Luke discovered her when she was 18. Said, hey, drop out of high school. Come on over. Come out over to L.A. And he was on... Or excuse me, she was on his. It's Kimo Sabe Records, which is underneath um, Sony, and she had you know just started creating hits. And you know, I think another thing that Zoe and I have discussed is just the power that Dr. Luke has is honestly super frightening. I mean, he has worked with so many major artists. You look at Kelly Clarkson, you look at Selena Gomez. I mean, he's a go-to producer. He makes money. The label loves him because, I mean, his his songs are hits. And it's scary the amount of power that he has over her career. He got her when she was 18 years old. And, and what's really crazy is that she signed a contract at 18. And think about if you, I mean, put yourself in, in her shoes. You are so excited. You are about to sign to a major record label. Are you really reading that fine print? Are you sitting there going with through with a fine tooth comb at 18 years old? Of course not. You're just so excited to be in the room that you're just going to sign that piece of paper. And I mean, and now it's what's crazy is that piece of paper she signed at 18 years old is still impacting her all these years down the line. So, I mean, that one, that, that's a very, very complicated one. Now, another one that seems... So the issue with Kesha is obviously not her. It's not the artist. I mean, it has to do with the art in the sense that Dr. Luke produces everything and blah, blah, blah. But there's, I, I, I want to just bring up briefly an even more complex one in my, in my eyes with Surfer Blood. So um, what year was it? Um, it's a couple of years back, what, like 2011 or 2012? I want to say, I want to say 2012. Um Lake Worth, Florida, where I am from, uh, John Paul Pitts, the lead singer, uh, his girlfriend called the cops alleging that he had physically abused her. Domestic violence dispute. Um, this, this lost them a lot of press. And I remember it was around the time we were working at WVM and we were going to get that album in and we kind of heard of all of this and we were like quietly no we're going to yeah. say no to this Surfer Blood record. And it's interesting you look back and there's actually a lot of um angry album reviews that aren't really reviewing the album of Surfer Blood and they're just talking about how much they how disgusted they are with this whole situation. The thing is okay, so that like those allegations yes he was taken to court he did a plea deal and like i believe it was like no contest or something like that which isn't helpful well because then you don't don't know know what happened you still don't know the truth and they so it was uh they made him go to court ordered uh anger management classes which he did he completed them so you think like, okay, he's served his time, quote unquote, whatever. Uh, I kind of, I just personally, I remember around the time I just wanted to move on. Like I wanted to be able to like listen to their music again and think like, well, he at least served and did right by his girlfriend, did right by society. The thing is, he continues to deny everything and say that he was innocent and that he never did anything. And so then it makes you just wonder like, 
well, what's the real story here? And like, can I still appreciate your art? What it like, if this is all true, which I don't, I hesitate to say if, because I, I, I always want to side with the victims and the people that making the allegations, but it makes it so much harder down the line. This has been years now. Well, I'm just surprised it's even still talking about it. You know, you would think that you just, you move on, you, well, yeah. you, you just, though I can again play in devil's advocate if indeed, you know, it's, it's a false allegation. I can totally understand that he being like, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. However, you have to think about the fact that it's just going to make you look guiltier. And especially if you did the plea deal, you did the anger management classes, you just, you would think that you just want to like move on and just keep, you know, keep making music and just get out of that 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 story. Yeah. Just get that story out of uh, out of your life. Um, like Taylor Swift says, I don't want to be a part of this narrative. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's great. I mean, it's such a great, like, honestly, I'd love to use that anytime I'm in. Honestly, I think sometimes when I'm in group text messages, I don't want to be a part of, like, I don't want to be a part of this narrative. Well, this has been super depressing, so thank you for lightening me. Of course, of course. I know, because this is definitely, we're talking about some really intense stuff here, though I think this is a really important subject to discuss, especially, I think that, especially you starting with Power Bottom is, it was really important just to kind of show, like, with them, where their their message and their music were so intertwined. Right. And, okay, just to kind of reiterate, I think we kind of mentioned this being, but there is no right solution here. There's no right way to feel whether you can or cannot separate art from the artist. It's up to you to determine what art you're going to continue to consume. But I think that it is, of, of if anything, it's important to know. I th- and I think so too. And I think really because it does give you shine a different light on these artists because you're always sitting there and especially with when they write their own songs, it's like you really feel like you're getting a piece of that person. And I think that knowing kind of what's going on, again, like you said, there's no right way to handle these. And especially with allegations, you never know if the person, if the allegation is true, especially when it's just in an allegation form. Because like so, you want to think that people coming forward are truthful but there's always unfortunately and we've seen this other reasons for people to do unfortunately um to to come forward with a false accusation but um but yeah I was gonna say I just think it's it's an important topic to talk about because it's just it will continue to to go on because unfortunately artists are humans and they're gonna make their mistakes and um it's definitely again there is no right answer it's more of kind of sitting there and saying what do I support what how how do I separate you know the the person from the the art you know who I can't separate from their art Justin. Can we just so we have to talk about what's really funny is is for Justin Bieber uh, of all the controversies has not had any sexual assault controversy. So this yeah. is actually a very different type of controversy. These controversies usually involve him being nude at a hotel. Exactly. Just real idiocy. It's it's just so the the what we wanted to end on was the controversy of Justin Bieber, which has been confirmed. By the way, this is not an allegation. Uh, I'm sure that you all have heard Despacito because it's been on every radio station, both Spanish and English. And Justin Bieber decided to um, to put forth uh, his, you know, when when they were doing the remix, he said, "I will do it and I will sing in Spanish." Oh, that's nice. You know what I mean? You're branching out, doing other languages. Yeah. So uh, one really important thing where there is no gray area is learning your lyrics. Yeah. What's up with that, Justin? So I, I'm sure you guys have seen the video by now where he is singing Despacito live. He doesn't know the words. So instead of singing the lyrics that he should have learned. Instead of falling silent knowing that he didn't know the words. 
replaces them with blah, 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 burrito. Burrito. That's a Spanish word we all know. He's such an embarrassment. It's just, I just sit there and I think to myself, you are paying millions of dollars. You couldn't learn the lyrics. And I mean, I don't speak Spanish either, but Jesus Christ, give me a million dollars. I will learn. I will memorize the dictionary in Spanish. Look, if ABBA could learn all of their songs phonetically because they didn't speak English, then so can Justin. Stop. I did not know they didn't speak English. Okay. Now, Justin, you really have no excuse. You, that's like, because I know Shakira did that with her first album, Laundry Service, all phonetically. So it's totally possible. And you don't hear about her forgetting the lyrics. So again there's certain with what we've a lot of what we talked about today it's a gray area but learning lyrics not a gray area learn them learn them learn some spanish enrich yourself god well thank you guys for listening even if it was kind of depressing we do have a mix we're going to launch into right now thanks so much this has been sawdust engine
smiling on the ground The air is cooler And I feel like I just started uni Walking backwards to my van You're at your window And I'm tripping every time I think of Lying in your attic I can feel a static The storm has broken heavens open Send my body out to 
Hi there, Zoe back, here to recap all the songs we've been hearing. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Sawdust and Gin, episode 27. It's been a bumpy ride. We talked about a lot of different things, but we're really glad that you guys were here to listen. Uh, this song that we're listening to right now is called I Knew It by Jesse Ruins from the very underrated album Dream Analysis. Prior to that, we heard Zorbing by Stornoway. Prior to that, Grapple with a track called Don't Turn Into a Memory. Before that, we heard Dreamers featuring Phoebe Lou, and that's originally by Hopium, but it was remixed by Lynx. And the song that started the set and also the song that started the episode was called Let Go by JJ. Just the two letters. Uh, Good luck looking that up. Uh, Again, thank you so much for listening. This is Sawdust and Gin. You can find us on Tumblr uh, or, you know, just visit sawdustandgin.tumblr.com even if you don't have a Tumblr. If you do, follow us. If not, no worries. Uh, We do have a Twitter and Facebook as well, all at Sawdust and Gin. You can send me an email. Um, Let me know your thoughts on anything we talked about today or let me know your thoughts on anything ever. If it's music related, I'll care and I might respond. uh, Sawdustandgin at gmail.com. Um, thank you guys again for listening. I can't thank you enough. Clearly, that is the moral of this. Um, I also want to thank Kylie, who, of course, always participates with me now. And we're going to keep this going. So, uh, yeah, tune in next time. For now, I'm Zoe. This is Sawdust and Jen. Sawdust and Jen.